This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, the path of education in our country remains challenging. It is something that obviously links back to the state of business, and the portion of it from the public school systems continues to be challenged due to a lack of funding, the growth of charter and private schools, and more. But for those who rely on public schools, there is an even greater concern about how those educations could leave be leaving people behind. Pleasure to be joined by Charles Payne, who many of you know as the host of Making Money with Charles Payne on the Fox Business Network. He is also CEO and Principal uh, Financial Analyst for Wall Street Strategies. Charles, great to have you back with us. Thanks for a few moments. No problems. Great to be back. Thank you. And, and having talked with you uh, quite a few times in the past, I know how important this component of education is to you. Kind of give us a little bit of the backstory on 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 where your your uh, your love and your your compassion around education is really built from. It's uh, it's built on my uh, own personal experiences. So I grew up. Uh, I had two childhoods, uh, and the first part of my childhood, my dad was in the army. He was career army, and we moved every year. We lived on these amazing army bases in the sixties and seventies, and. Uh, you know, it's uh, it was just an idyllic, uh, you know, environment, and the schools were wonderful. And uh, you know, I never really knew uh, just how how privileged we were to grow up in that environment until my parents divorced, and uh, I was 12 years old, and we went from Fort Lee, Virginia, to Harlem at the time. Harlem, probably the poorest, most dangerous neighborhood in America. And one of the first things that hit me in terms of culture shock was the education. I mean, it's I was so far ahead of my peers uh, and and the and the class and and what was really tough about it is not just being so far ahead of them but just the sort of resentment uh, about it all <clears throat> and you know you do well in school and you're trying to be white you speak proper english you're trying to be white and it just shocked me that you know this sort of self self uh, this this is sort of negative loop cycle right it's just you know, someone tries to do well, they're going to be teased, ostracized, and then criticized, uh, and and probably targeted. Uh, on top of the fact that what they were learning, their school books were so far behind, uh, and and then the education. You you talk about grading on the curve. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Some you know, and it was just sort of a mill. To, you know, to, so I discovered New York City, the school system, at least with respect to the black students, is this was an all black school. Uh, was nothing but a mill to get them in, get them out, and uh, and and so it, it really from that from that moment on, as a kid, I had sort of this epiphany, and it's always stayed with me, uh, particularly as an adult, as an employer, and as a concerned American. How much has that changed then over that that period of time, that window of time, forty to forty-five years or so, in terms of where public education is? using the example of New York City now in comparison to what you saw as a young man? I think in many ways it's gotten worse, um, in part the so-called achievement gap. Uh, you know, last time I did some work on this, uh, and I, I've done some exhaustive studies, but it's been a couple of years, but the last time it was about three years. So 12th grade, uh, the, the average black kid is reading and math. It's about three years behind the average white kid uh, and four years behind the average Asian student. Uh, and I'm really scared as hell when, uh, when when this pandemic when the pandemic data comes in data comes in because you know you know yeah. whether it was lack of resources lack of someone at home who can really help you 
uh, get through some of the problem-solving issues uh, and, and, you know, just the isolation and all those sort of things, I think the achievement gap is going to get a whole lot worse. And, and so it, it's, I don't think it's improved. And here's the problem with, with that. You know, while we have these sort of uh, poor public education systems, and it's no excuse to have them in large metropolitan areas, we have the world's best universities. And, right. you know, there's a, always these efforts to get these kids to, who graduated high school but can't read into college, often yeah. at taking out loans that they'll never be able to repay because a large portion, over half, don't even make it through the four years. Uh, and, if you, you know, you don't, even have, you don't even qualify for any kind of uh, forgiveness if you don't make it through the four years. So the entire system is just so weighted against uh, a black kid being born – uh, and, and, and a poor black neighborhood in New York, in New York City and, and so many other metropolitan areas ever escaping that, ever being able to get through that system. It's really tough. What then do we need to start to consider in order to try and turn the scales? And, and there's probably a lot that has to be done in order to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, I, I heard you're open, and I don't think it's money, and I certainly don't think that charter schools are a threat to public schools unless they – and, uh, you know, m- m- from a money point of view, I think maybe if we had open competition, maybe that way. But yeah. we, it's just got to be a belief. I mean, honestly, this gets back. This gets down to a core belief, in my in my opinion, uh, particularly in, again in these large metropolitan cities where they they're making excuses not to give these kids the more rigorous studies. You know, you have to believe that these kids are smart enough to do it give it to them at a very early age, and expect yeah. them to do extraordinarily well. You know, I had one instance uh, when I was kind of coasting through high school. I was, a great, I was a great student. And then, again, we moved to New York. I was a great student my first year in junior high. And then I kind of got, you know, I wasn't as good of a student as I was, and I was kind of coasting through. And I remember in 10th grade, uh, we had a substitute teacher. She was in charge of the entire English department uh, for our high school. And she had a, uh, a guest, uh, and uh, they, he was a guy who worked on Wall Street. He was asking, you know, he was taking questions. It turns out I ended up asking about 85% of the questions, and I knew so many <laughs> things. And I got called to her office the next day. I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. she says, you've been fooling us. You know a lot more than you say you do or that you've ever let on. Unfortunately, the next two years, I had to go to the hardest English class, which was really tough because these nerdy kids knew every book <laughs> that I never read. You know, just the conversations alone, like, oh, what? What are you talking about? So, but yeah. the point is, is that you can you can coast through, uh, through these systems, and never get the best of yourself out of them. And I think we should start demanding that uh, as parents, as teachers, as concerned citizens, because these, this is our future. Well, and and as you and I have talked about in the past, the the direct correlation between the success of a young individual as a student. And what their outcome is from a professional perspective, uh, it's well known, and it obviously can it can be life altering if you have that experience and have a very successful experience in education at a younger age to what you can potentially do later on in life. No doubt about it. Uh, you know, there's and just I think the most important thing that should be taught is to learn to learn and to love learning. Um, and to, you know, sort of this way, and I think some of it's cultural. Again, you, know, you, you can't go back to your neighborhood and be beaten up because you got an A on the social studies test. 
You know, there's a guy named Michael Lewis. Um, uh, he started. He's got the rare uh, distinction of starting three separate multi-billion-dollar companies. Would, you know, just amazing. Before Elon came on the scene, so a yeah. book was written. Not Michael. Uh, Michael Lewis wrote a book about this. Uh, the this guy who did this. His name was Larry. I think Larry. I got a mental block. But anyway, Michael Lewis wrote the book. What was interesting about this book? It was the new new thing. Was uh, he followed this guy around and he had an assistant from India. And he says, has this guy been with you for every venture? He said, yes. Yeah. So he might if I interview him. So he interviewed the guy from India, and he says, tell me your story. So they shared, you know, he shared a story. And then he told him one day he, when he came home from school, they lived in a small village, and his sister was the prettiest girl in the village. And uh, she was getting all dolled up, and she was going on a date. And he says, oh, wow, okay, you're going on a date. And she said, he, so he asked, who are you going with? So when she told him, he says, man, he's like the ugliest guy in the village. His sister said, yes, but he's the smartest. You know, if we can put the same sort of – if we can put the smartest kids, the hardest working kids, uh, you know, on acad- in academics on the same pedestal as that we put the person yep. who can dunk a basketball or, or throw a football, I think we'd change the, change the nation overnight. What is your th- uh, thought process on the potential of public-private partnerships to be able to boost uh, education here in the United States? I think it's an absolute must. I don't. I don't. I, unfortunately, at this stage of the game, I don't have any faith um, in, in the public school system and the teachers' unions and things like that, and just the appeasement that's going on. You know, I think it's easier to give Johnny, little Johnny, a watered-down test and give him an A, and tell his parents little Johnny's on the honor roll, even though little Johnny is not ready to compete in the real world. Yeah. And I, I gave a speech a week ago. I was in Aruba to a bunch of brokers. Um, uh, from around the, the America, and you know, one of them asked in a Q&A session, says, listen, Charles, listen, it's pretty obvious. Everyone in the audience is white. You're the only person here who's black. I've tried to hire black people. What can we do? We can't get them. And my answer to him and everyone else who really wants to help is we've got to create funnels outside of the public school system, sort of a booster shot, if you will, uh, to get, the, get these kids ready academically and emotionally because in, in, in addition to IQ, EQ, is now becoming a major, major issue, a major problem. But I think when your IQ is higher, your EQ will be higher as well. Joined by Charles Payne, who many of you know is the host of Making Money with Charles Payne on the Fox Business Network. So that also means that the role of community is going to have to play uh, a significant part in this buildup as well, I would believe. I, I, I think it does. It really does. And I don't, I'm not sure how to get, get where we're trying to go there. Uh, years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was a movie called Aquila and the Bee. And it was a great movie about this young black girl who was, uh, ended up being, she was a great speller. And, you know, so she was trying to make it to these national spelling contests. And, of course, these kids, their parents pay extra money for the German coach, the Latin coach, and it's really extraordinarily competitive. Yeah. And what I thought was great about the movie is that even the drug dealers in her neighborhood said, hey, no one bothers Aquila. You know, everyone gave her a free pass. Everyone in the neighborhood rooted for her. I, and I yeah. just was like, you wanted to cry because it should be like that in real life. Yeah, and, and that's – you think about how community has kind of been the core of what we have kind of grown out of here in the United States over, over so many decades. Community can be such a, an unbelievable benefit to building up not only education but just, you know, in general – where we're looking at our lives uh, as we move forward. 
Absolutely, and it's it's the uh, it's the backbone. It really is the backbone, and 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 often, particularly as kids go into their teens, it has more influence even than the parents do. So, you know, the one thing I do kind of see happening uh, societally, for instance, in music, uh, I, I see these rappers who over the last 15 years used to talk about, you know, all the stuff they owned, uh, jewelry and, you know, stuff like that, cars, to, yeah. hey, I'm representing this jewelry company and this wine company, to, hey, I own this wine company. Yeah. Right. So we're starting to yep. see an emphasis on ownership, yep. on on greatness. On achievement, to the to talking about community, to the most influential voices in these communities at a certain age, and I think that's good. But then there is also the element of local government and also the banking sector, and the role that they can play. And I'm thinking banking more so for small business, of helping to you know to be able to open doors for small business owners so that they can you know they can have that level of success that they would like to have in these communities. And again, that's a part of a process of building up the community as a whole. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And this whole thing has got to be grassroots, um, and, and it's got to be sincere. And, and certain and certain folks and certain entities are going to have to take a shot. Going to have to take a chance, um, it's, or, or call it an investment. And, and you know, certainly banks, forgetting about checking a checklist for like the Community Reinvestment Act, that kind of stuff. For, you know, something sincere. Something that really, really, again, and I'm talking about creating funnels. It could be educational funnels. It could be business funnels. Uh, you know, the, but it, I, I think it's worthwhile, um, and you, know, you would hope that it would happen. You know, you've, you've seen when these economic zones pop up from here and there. Yeah. I, I'm generally a champion of them, but what I always see happening is, is that a bunch of Wall Streeters will go in there under the guise of something or take advantage of the tax benefits and, Yep. So something that without the Wall Street loopholes, something sincerely designed for local communities, uh, that would be an investment. And, and, and I, think, I think the rewards would be seen in short order. I don't think you'd have to wait a long time to see that, hey, this is a smart move. Charles, always great to have you with us. Thanks for a few moments. You too. Thank you. Charles Payne, Fox Business uh, Network, making money with Charles Payne, also CEO and principal financial analyst with Wall Street Strategies. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.